broadcasting live from Humpty Dumpty Sat on a Wall. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm one of your other hosts, rips off incredibly realistic mask, Seamus Connolly. What? I thought thought I was doing it with a guest this week. Uh, You thought Sean was back, but no, it's that everybody can totally see me ripping off my mask right now. It was so realistic. I couldn't couldn't believe it. I've got my little voice chip changer. I was going to say you had to have yourself read whatever the the little lines that you have to say to get the voice chip. There there was a lot of red LED light scanners involved. That's all I got to (laughs) say. Well, long, long time coming. Like we said last week, something that we have been anticipating doing since we started this podcast. We are finally covering the Mission Impossible franchise in anticipation for Dead Reckoning Part 1 coming out next week. But before we get into that very important mission, Seamus, why don't we do some news? Let's get into it, man. We've got just a little bit of news today, but... You know, unsurprisingly, we have a little bit of Disney danger, Garrett. Can you feel it? Are your ears sore yet? We've been having one of these every damn week this time around. It's not, it's not letting up. Well, the Disney danger last week was Dial of Destiny, I think. But... <laughs> That's the, the Disneyest danger of them all, the Dial of <laughs> Destiny. <laughs> but this is a pretty short one, but it is... Probably the most egregious thing Disney has done thus far, which is saying something. They have removed the Disney Plus original film Crater from Disney Plus after only releasing it on May 12th, 2023. I can't believe that. I had to, like, double check that you wrote down the right date because that is insane. I, I would ask you if you have seen this, but you probably didn't even get the chance to because it's it's here and gone so fast. I guess I was theoretically... I saw the ads for it. It looked cute. You know, it looked like a kid's movie. It's got Kid Cudi's in it. Yeah, Kid Cudi's there. That's fun. I like him and stuff. He was in Bill and Ted 3. The little girl that plays the young version of every little girl on everything (laughs) from Ghostbusters and Malignant and Captain Marvel. Oh, sure, sure. uh, She's also on Young Sheldon, I think, a show that is definitely real and people watch. (laughs) It's it's on its own... Is it even on a streaming service, or do they keep that monstrosity on cable? Plus, I'm sure. Oh, I, I, no thank you. But I don't know, man. No thank you to this weird decision. Like, how how bad could it have been? Like, what what is the what is the deal here? It just came I, out. I it looks like it got like fine reviews. It's not like people hated it. You know that it's not about quality for any of these. I companies, know it's not about but, quality. It's about did enough people watch it in the first seven weeks? Okay, no arbitrary number that we decided was not enough let's toss it never like better to have nobody ever see it and get it and we get a tax write-off Dude. than maybe word of mouth picks up and people actually that's so get a chance sad. to see it i don't know it's, it's just, so sad it's like it's like the netflix thing but like way more rapid and and more jarring netflix will will do that with things that have just been like stagnating on the service for like a long time and then just you know wipe the wipe the record but this came out a couple months ago this is crazy i feel like this should just go into the public domain i'm like why are we reliant on this kind of stuff if if they're saying this has no economic value then we should be able to see it free of charge i think that's actually a great take right there they're they're just like vaulting things that make no sense to be vaulted there's no rhyme or reason there's there's so many people that worked so hard on that. There, there looks like a lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of younger actors, a lot of kid actors in this. And they're, they're probably just like, oh, so I guess my, my whole contribution to something this major for a corporation like Disney just means jack. And now no one will ever see it, even if they genuinely have want to for, I mean, whatever reason. I feel like this is just going to get buried now that nobody can even search for it on the only platform that it would be available. It's, I mean, it's criminal. It's awful. We need to have some Disney-busting laws go into place, like, specifically. Like, I, li- I like the idea. Just make things that are being taken down, like, assassinated by money reasons by the corporations that created them. Just make them available somehow, somewhere. Let them, you know, do their weird 
tax sheets and and do this but there should at least be some way to access the things that they're doing it to disney won't let go of the dial of destiny because they're afraid we'll go to teddy <laughs> roosevelt to trust Buster. exactly he, he's gonna kick some ass there's there's gotta be something we could do speaking of vaulting things and kicking ass make a face a big face <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to this week's main segment mission impossible one through six Ooh, let's do it. For today's main segment, we are talking about all six current Mission Impossible movies in preparation for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. It's a lot to cover today for sure, but and, and I'm a fairly new Mission Impossible fan. I, I do, I'm a diehard fan, though. I know I, I only started watching these... Maybe what a year ago or, year or ago, less, yeah. maybe that I. But I, I've swiftly jumped on the hype train that Tom Cruise is running on the top of that train, and uh, I'm I'm really excited to get into this stuff with you, man. I have been waiting for years to be able to like share Mission Impossible with specifically you, but also anyone. <laughs> honestly, it's always been you know my family has always been into mission impossible we like mission impossible movies but i do think it's kind of an undersung franchise and finally in the wake of top gun being one of the biggest <laughs> movies of all time i think it's about to get its due a little bit more but oh yeah oh yeah i've loved these since i was a kid i used to have one of my personal videotapes that i had that was mine that like we talk about that on this show sometimes oh for was, sure the first Brian De Palma Mission Impossible. Then, like the rest of the world, you know, I saw Ghost Protocol in the <laughs> theater, which was really the rebirth of the franchise. And I have not missed one in the theater since Ghost Protocol. So, very excited for Dead Reckoning. Very excited for you to come fully informed into Dead Reckoning. Uh, I, I love these movies. I think they might be my favorite franchise outside of Star Wars, probably. And even wow. in some ways, I like it more than Star Wars. As an adult, I certainly like it more than Star Wars. Star Wars just has a special place. In of my course, life. of course. That's the classic. But this is like, this is coming out with regular bangers every couple years at this point. And I mean, you, you, most people would think that Dead Reckoning Part 1 would be my first theater-going experience with this franchise. But so many years ago when Rogue Nation came out, 2015? 2015. Was that? It must have yep. been. I uh, Just being bored enough on a summer day with my buddies to be like, let's go see this random Mission Impossible movie, having never seen any of the other ones, any of us. And our attitude was, we're just going to pretend it's the new Terminator movie. All these agents That's that are so coming funny. after Tom Cruise that have helmets on the motorcycles, they're just Terminators. They're just, they're, they're coming after this man and he's very capable and there's going to be gadgets. And so pretty much every single thing was a surprise to me being that late into the franchise and like knowing nothing anyway. But I mean, it, it it was it was truly like watching it new with you when we were when we were rewatching them to to just kind of get caught up. Mission Impossible is also a franchise that's very much old fashioned and very much for adults. In that, for most of their run, there has been no real expectation of you having seen another Mission Impossible movie. Sure, you'll get more out of them probably if you did see the last few. But like Mission Impossible Three, I remember that movie coming out and being a really big deal, and all the adults were like, "Saw a new Mission Impossible. It's really good." Don't take the kids. They're like, we didn't see the other ones. They're like, it doesn't matter. It's just its own thing, you know? Oh, man. I, yeah, that, to think about being like an early franchise person, like trying to keep up with them as they were coming out from like one, it would be such tonal whiplash and such a strange thing to be a diehard fan of back then, I feel like. But then three and beyond, you're like, you're pretty locked in, I feel like at that point. If, If you've, if you've gone through that, you're, you're in the green zone there with Ethan Hunt. I also feel like there's a reason they switched after three to subtitles. You know, they go Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, Fallout. It's not Mission Impossible 5, right? It's Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. It's more approachable. It's easier mm-hmm. to just be like, it's a impossible mission. I'll go see that. You know, Tom Cruise will hang off a plane probably. That's what yeah. I remember. Yeah, that's the, that's the genius of this, I feel like. That even though I never followed this franchise really as like a fan, or even saw more than one of them in the middle of the entire franchise, I would hear about these stunts and 
I would just be like, you know what? That's actually almost enough reason for me to... I, I wasn't aware at the time of how epic they truly were, but I heard about him all the time, and it was it was very tantalizing to know that he was just, like, jumping off, jumping into the sun or whatever, like, launching himself into the bottom of the ocean and, <laughs> and never coming back. Like, he's crazy, and that's a really big draw, I feel like, for a lot of people going into these later ones. It's also wild to me that I genuinely think, and we'll get into this more in spoilers, that pretty much all of them are good except for one notable exception. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. when it comes to breaking down these movies individually, there's a lot to mine, but as a whoa, franchise... Whoa, whoa, hold on, man. Hold on. I think... Hold on. Someone's knocking on my door. Give me a second. Yeah. Just a, a package waiting at the door for... Oh, it's it's actually addressed to the show. The pop culture reference? Yeah, it's addressed to the pop culture reference. Hold on. Oh, that's weird. Good morning, Mr. Connolly and Mr. Strother. In 1996, a film adaptation of the hit 1960s television series, Mission Impossible, was released. In the past 27 years... The film franchise has amassed six entries, with a seventh, Dead Reckoning Part 1, releasing next week. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to cover the first six Mission Impossible movies on this week's episode. Due to the delicate timing of a standard podcast, a countdown timer will allow you only six minutes to discuss each individual entry. If you or any member of your podcast team is muted or disconnected, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Well, okay, all right, full spoilers for Mission Impossible 1, I guess. Here we go, man, we've accepted the mission. What do you think? This is the maybe the weirdest Tom Cruise movie I've ever seen, and that's saying a lot. It just feels so old and different than what I'm used to epic Tom Cruise doing. I'm a big Brian De Palma fan, and I think that... For me, Mission Impossible, and it's only partially because I grew up with this one, is one of the top entries in the series because it's so paranoid and violent and dark in a way that the franchise... I mean, three a little bit, but mostly the franchise never gets to this point again. And it's interesting because it starts as like a Mission Impossible movie and it's fun. (laughs) We've got the team full of colorful characters and Emilio Estevez is here dude, don't you love Emilio him lasagna, don't get any lasagna, <laughs> the best. dude I I can't tell you how hard I mean you were looking at me when we were rewatching or you were rewatching them me watching it for the first time I remember looking over to you when everyone just starts getting absolutely shredded and you were just like yeah you thought this was the movie, didn't you? Hmm, yeah, everybody did. But, like, also you were, like, sad for me because Emilio Estevez gets stabbed in the face. That's so graphic. Chris Scott Thomas, too, I think would have been a really great person to have on the franchise keeping on. Yeah, but, man. Yeah, she she's a loss, and John Voight, I don't know, did you, did you buy John Voight being dead the first time you watched this? Um, I mean, yeah, dude, I didn't know, I had no idea how many masks, like, even in the first one, which isn't, like, a ton of masks, but it's, like, I didn't realize that was so on the table that we were, we were just going for it, you know, so, I, I was of the idea that this was a Jason Bourne caliber universe where, like, you just kind of have guns and bombs and tasers and stuff sometimes, and, but no, we're, like, masks and drones and you know, hacking into the mainframe. I mean, it's the it's inc- it's insane. This one is really the most grounded Mission Impossible. It's the Casino Royale of, of Mission, Mission Impossible. Impossible. That's actually a pretty good comparison. I feel like because it, it's, I mean, it is great. I I kind of started this by saying that I find it weird, but it's just because I'm so used to the real human Terminator Tom Cruise, and this is like he's so he's so young and he's such a chipper young agent he's not yet like superman ethan hunt yet he, it, it's so he strange feels like he's right out of the marines or wherever ethan yeah was yeah he was in the imf and i think that that's 
it's a really great place to start his character as, mm. you know, he's this young, cocky idealist, but not really an idealist. But you know, I mean, a little he's, bit. He's, he he gives he gives Jim the benefit of the doubt for so long until I mean that is such a good moment too, where he's piecing it together in his own mind while he's having the conversation with him and. Like, ah, that's another thing that I was unaware of in this movie, like how or this franchise rather of how they like reveal big, crazy stuff like that and how it's still like even when it's a big, crazy reveal, it's still under the espionage. Like everybody's got to keep some kind of secret style way of doing that. It's it's really unique and amazing. I feel like I think that. Henry Zerny, who plays Kit Ridge, is really the unsung hero of he's this movie great. because not only is he good in his own right, and he's got that great voice, and he's actually, you know, he's the first briefing, right? Yeah. He gives Jim the first briefing, but he does so much to sell Hunt as this worthy adversary, and... You know, he it's kind of a thankless role, really, to be the government mm. stooge. Yeah. But he's like, we have to get this guy. He's so dangerous when he's in the wind. And that intensity sets up the tone for the rest of Ethan Hunt in these movies as like, sure, he might go rogue. The IMF might turn on him. But once he has his eyes locked on something, he is going to see it through. That mission is going to get accomplished. Like, it's even just thinking about the big heist break-in, CIA vault break-in idea. Like, it's so... The iconography of him in the black clothes and, like, on the wires right up against the floor and, like, holding his arms and legs out. But you think about how that is the starting point for, like, the big stakes in this franchise. And it's it's kind of insane, especially in the high-intensity way that they do it. We haven't even talked about Luther yet. I want to. I want to make that clear <laughs> that we have not talked about Luther yet, and how just the the building intensity of like the sweat beads going down his face, and you just you're like hearing Luther's voice in in the radio of like we've got you know however much time. It's mm-hmm. truly incredible, and I mean we're gonna we're gonna talk about the ebbs and flows of this whole franchise, but I feel like. In rewatching that first one for this episode today, I I was on the edge of my seat, man. It feels like an impossible mission, and it feels like nothing is impossible for Ethan Hunt when he does that kind of thing. The Langley heist is a great example of, you know, less being more. And De Palma, you know, he doesn't use the iconic Mission Impossible music over that scene. He makes it well, silent. Well, hold on, and- hold on. Our next mission is about to commence. All right, but moving right along to Mission Impossible, John Woo's Mission Impossible 2. Boy, is it John Woo's Mission Impossible oh, 2. Oh, man, it's more a John Woo movie than a Mission Impossible movie, to be honest. It is <sighs> It is wild. It is wild. And it's sad how much those two things don't go together, because... It's just not his John style, you know? It's, it's, it's just not... Because the John Woo stuff in this movie is great. The Mission Impossible stuff in this movie is not good. And, in fact, boring. The All of the espionage, all of the spy stuff, all of the plot, the romance is boring. <laughs> I, like, no no, no knocking Tandy Newton. I think she's a great actor. She is, she is lovely in this, but it's just, it's just, I don't know, when they're doing the whole, like, can I be on top bit where they meet each other for the first time? And they, they, he literally looks like a bounce, wow, wow, like baseline when they're in the bathtub. It's just, it's so weird. It feels like John Woo thought he was making a James Bond movie and not <laughs> but, a Mission Impossible movie. I guess, but also it doesn't feel anything like James Bond either. It just feels so, he feels like a different character, that Ethan Hunt in this one. That long hair got to him, you know, it's, it's, it's very weird. And to be fair, this is the genesis of a lot of important things for the franchise. It's the genesis of, hey, we're going to bring in a new director every movie and have them do their version of what a Mission mm. Impossible movie is. It establishes the fact that every movie we're going to have somebody do the big wire 
flying squirrel right, jump yes. thing, which he does in this movie. You know, there are some good aspects to this insane, boring movie. I like the motorcycle. That's a really big... <laughs> the it, motorcycle like, fight at the end? Essentially, this is the one that introduces Ethan rides a motorcycle. And almost every movie after this, Ethan rides a motorcycle. That is very true. And I mean, not only does he ride... It's not like he... It's like, oh, Ethan is introduced to the concept. Of, it's like he's a master at motorcycle mm-hmm. riding in this. And he's jousting them. And he's drifting in them. And he's like getting off the seat and like sliding on the soles of his boots like and like to it's 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 insane he is an acrobat on that thing and i mean that's all him doing that i i I imagine i'm pretty sure at least most of it he loves the shot of the cameras right in front of the motorcycle as it's going Mm -hmm. as fat it's redlining going so fast (laughs) That long hair, I will say, was great for the motorcycle riding stuff. Because he, he, you know Ethan Hunt's not wearing a helmet. That's the next thing I was going to bring up. Is It not only establishes that Ethan's hair length fluctuates, this might be the best hair he has in any of the movies. It is great looking. It's really good, man. I mean, let's not not skimp on our free solo Ethan Hunt rock climbing intro where he's just like long sweaty hair in the Utah sun and he's like wedging his knee into the crevice to like shake his hands out he he looks badass dude i think that this movie has a great intro the entire bit of him free climbing and then he gets to the top of the mountain and the helicopter shoots a rocket <laughs> a with missile. a canister <laughs> with sunglasses spy that, kids sunglasses <laughs> that then plays like a guitar version of the mission impossible theme as he gets his mission briefing, and then as the title card comes up, he throws the sunglasses directly at the camera as they explode. If I told you where I was, it wouldn't be a vacation. Bow, bow. It's like gets right into it. Ooh, it's, it's so pretty good. good. I would argue the, right after that, the stuff where um, the bad guy, whose name I swear to God I remember. Uh, yeah. He, uh, he, he, it's the worst villain in this franchise, and that's saying something, because there's a... There, there's, some, there's, there's some bad ones, I know. There's some not great villains, yeah. But some of the most peak Mission Impossible stuff in this movie is... We get two fake-outs, because this villain is, like, Ethan's specific body double for, like, mask yep. stuff. So he does a couple mask fake-outs. I think him in the plane at the beginning, before they, like, blow it up, like, terrorist attack it in Colorado... Yeah is great where you think like what is Ethan doing like what the hell is happening for a second you're like okay yeah he's doing IMF stuff sure but you know I think that's some pretty pretty peak mask pulling right there two things I also want to make sure we mention are one they this also establishes that Luther comes back for more missions yeah oh which is really important he Luther is pulling a lot of weight in this Mm -hmm. movie dude for a lot of enjoyment of this movie for sure and then also the real stunt that Tom Cruise did, which is, I think this is really the the genesis of Tom Cruise is going to put himself in danger for entertainment. The knife that is like a quarter inch away from his open eyeball. Was that not a, like a, I mean, I guess even if it was some kind of prop knife, that that is they stabbing just, into his eyeball, so. No, it's a real knife on a rope that they dropped. So it oh landed God. exactly where it lands I right in front of his eyeball. Don't remember learning. You probably told me that at some point, but that is the most. That, that is incre- all the small stunts that he does are so overlooked because he's jumping into the Grand Canyon and stuff these days. But like, <laughs> that's crazy. No one would ever do that. And I know John Woo was super like shaky about the rock climbing stuff too because he did. I, I think there was some wires or some i know that the big jump was a stunt double i don't think yeah but like even that even that alone even with no never mind no we got it we got to move on mission impossible three i think a lot of people don't like this one and i think it's really good who doesn't like this one this one is awesome it's it kind of it's going off the rails i mean Philip Seymour Hoffman alone is one of the best villains in this entire franchise, I feel like, or at least the most memorable, one of the most memorable. I think that he's probably the best villain performance, without a doubt. Because he's just, he's Philip Seymour Hoffman, and watching him go from, like, calculated cold to, like, yelling is actually scary. It's, It's insane. 
I think that, the scariest ooh. scene in this movie, and I know we're jumping the gun a lot, is... Hey, man, we got five minutes. Keep going. When they're on the plane, and he's like, if you have a girlfriend or something, oh, I'm going to find her, and I'm going to hurt her. I'm going to hurt her so bad. And, like, gonna he's so casual name. about it. It's like it's a day at the office for him. It's so, like, he's like, listen, I know I'm, like, this, like, super villain style man, but it, this is boring to me. I don't want to have to go mutilate your girlfriend, Ethan Hunt, but I'm going to do it because I am evil and angry at you. You knocked me out in the bathroom. Did that coughing bit, which was great, where he can't talk until the voice modulator is loaded. I mean, it's crazy. And, and I mean, going going all the way to the end where they have Ethan's wife. He has Ethan's wife, and he's like, you know, I told her I was going to do all this. I, I'm going to actually kill her in front of you, though, because I'm that angry about it. He, he's like a Kingpin-style brute in that fight, yeah. by the way. He's, like, kicking Ethan in the chest through windows and... It feels like he is, like, he's so much stronger than he lets on. He's a very fancy kind of guy, but then he lets loose. There's so much to talk about in this one, I feel like, because J.J. Abrams, who is a director that I have a complicated relationship with, but I think that this movie, his first movie ever, I should add, that he got definitely because he was so good at Alias, because he basically just turns this into, what if Alias were a two-hour-long <laughs> movie? So he gives Ethan a family, which is, I think, an interesting angle to come at it as. What if Ethan, you know, had settled down and had a wife, and that becomes really important for not only Ethan's character, but continuously through the rest of the franchise, we see the ramifications of this specific event in Ethan's life. And the idea that he's also making... This is the first Mission Impossible where he, he brings it back a little bit from like John Woo went gadget crazy mask crazy mm, oh yeah oh yeah and JJ Abrams found the really good equilibrium where the franchise still lives between hyper technical which Brian De Palma is more interested in and crazy banana pants <laughs> stuff that John Woo is into and I think Abrams does a really good job this is by far the darkest Mission Impossible movie just in terms of its violence I would say yeah, I, I I mean I think I think so. It is like the stuff with like the little tiny nano brain blaster bomb. Mm -hmm. It's it's wild to see. Like it's it's very grotesque in its concept in its concept, but like there's also things like just like blowing out people's knees with a gun like as they're tied to a chair. It's 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 kind of wild. It's also kind of wild that the entire intro of that movie is it jumps into the middle of that interrogation and then comes back to it. I think that is an awesome choice. It's so intense because you're like, I'm going to go have fun at the movies. Mission nope. Impossible, like, I wow. loved John Woo's Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> Let's go see Mission Impossible 3. And it is not that, dude. They are going crazy. They are really going crazy. And... There's a lot of great little moments, the bridge chase where um, there's the drone and they're breaking him out of prison with oh, the cool, yeah. like, foam that makes yeah, the like side of the truck brittle. Shatters it with, like, a hammer. Yeah, that is awesome. I Honestly, I love the helicopter chase through a wind farm and, like, <sighs> dodging giant windmill blades. Like, that's awesome. That's a cool concept. John Reese Myers, who's piloting that helicopter is a good addition to the team he's yeah. no benji but i like him he's okay the real, the real standout other than luther of course in this movie a shout out to is, luther i think maggie q is great and i really wish that they would bring oh, her yeah. back for another one i was yeah i wish they would too i think that would be really fun to see she gets shot for this team she should get her <laughs> she should get her dues she should come back yeah definitely and hell, hell bring back the australian guy from two while you're at it <laughs> we didn't even talk about <laughs> Um, you've got the Vatican, that whole break-in, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, of course. obviously. Um, oh, uh, uh, there's so much, good lord. We don't know what the rabbit's foot is still, right? Like, not really? No, not really. Lawrence Fishburne's like, mmm, stick around and I'll oh, tell you, and then dude. I will never come back, even though he should also he be should back. He should 100% be back. Dude, I'm, I have such high hopes for these Dead Reckoning movies. Everyone's coming back, dude. If I also can come back, you know? Exactly. Honestly, if there weren't, you know, the circumstances of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's actual real-life death, they don't kill uh, that character in a way that is very Mission Impossible convincing to me. I feel like they could have 
done more with him if the circumstances were different. Yeah. I like Billy Crudup a lot in this movie. I'm not a huge Billy Crudup fan, but when he hits, he He hits, really does, and though. I think he's really good in this. Absolutely. I, I, I was definitely a big fan. And then we get the fan, like, at the end of this movie, Ethan Hunt lives happily ever after, you know? Nothing bad ever happens to Ethan ever again, and he stays Jeremy with Renner the Jeremy Renner would specifically never let anything <laughs> Dude, bad happen Jeremy to Jeremy Renner would never let Tom Cruise down, and we know that for a fact. We know that about him. And, you know, I, I maybe we'll get into that someday. Who knows? Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, The Comeback Kid. What a, because, oh, it's it's kind of crazy. Like the, the so far, this is also like four for four in a row that are like, oh, did you like the last Mission Impossible's tone and like framing and everything? <laughs> it's like, well, buckle up. Like, too bad we're going crazier again. What if Mission Impossible were Buster Keaton? That's what this. Is, <laughs> I think, dude, that's actually yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is uh, Jeremy Renner's intro, I believe, right? This is climbing on the sides of buildings. Yes, well, he's not climbing on the sides of buildings. No, he's no, sitting of in a not. car with Tom Wilkinson, going, "Well, from the sketch on your hand, I can tell you that this, this international terrorist is the worst <laughs> villain in the franchise." Oh my goodness! What is even the name of this guy again? Uh, Jeremy Renner or the bad guy? The bad guy. Oh, uh, Hendrix, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, that one of them's got a Hendrix, and I think it's this one. Dude, it's, it's Kurt Hendrix. Kurt Hendrix. I mean, what, <laughs> and then this is also uh, Leah Sadu, right? Is in also great. I think she's a really cool, totally villain. rad, and and part of one of the most fun. Like undercover, like really espionagey things, like the double meetup swap of of uh, everyone is pretending that there's someone else, and everyone is trying to catch on to it in the in the big building. I think it's so much fun, and I'm glad that she I'm glad that she's involved for that one for sure. I agree, and she's also one of the only crossovers between this and Bond, which I think is kind of an interesting. Oh yeah, idea. wow! I guess that there are pretty minimal. Well, we got Jeremy Renner here, which is the Born crossover too. We got two for That's one true. up in here. We just need uh, what's the? Is there even a fourth one? <laughs> Do we have a fourth I don't one? Know. It's I... crazy how they were like, we're gonna bring in Jeremy Renner from Born, and we're gonna bring in, or, or you know, this was like his moment to be the replacement Tom Cruise and then Tom Cruise climbed the tallest building in the world and everybody went, never mind. <laughs> he said, psych, sorry, Jer. We're not doing it that way. No dice. Uh, because I mean, Luther, you... Luther, the least amount of Luther in this one, This is that is the only one of the only strikes against this movie. Very much so, yeah. Even though I think that that helps raise the stakes a little bit of like, you think you're on one mission, but everything just keeps going wrong. Brad Bird is really good at constantly escalating the stakes of this movie while also keeping it fun and breezy with his trademark playfulness and also like i think this is one of the funniest if not the funniest mission impossible movie i mean there's some humpty dumpty said it all is pretty funny that was like immediately after the like fake italian arguing delivery men bit which is really funny too but I mean, th- this this movie it's it's starting to find the actual place where Ethan Hunt will be for the next foreseeable whatever. I mean, I know it gets the epicness ebbs and flows a little later on that we'll get to in a bit, but I think I think it's great that you know it's finding that humor while still making it the most epic thing you've ever seen at the time. And but this was 2011. This is right? 2011, and which, is, which it, it's it feels so new. It doesn't it, mm-hmm. like movies from 2011 feel old, but this movie does not feel old to me. This is also the movie where he perfects the, you know, just another day at the office look that he does sometimes. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, when yeah. the guy pulls the goggles out of his coat when he's getting patted down. And he's like, oh, just another day at the office. I have my goggles. <laughs> Guess that worked. Ha ha. Oh, man. And then, then we also wrestle with uh, Jeremy Renner's conscience, conscience for this entire yeah. movie as well, which I think was a really interesting way to keep what happened in three like meaningful for Ethan and others, but like Agreed. still showing like, hey, he's he's out here. He's with the he's with Luther and the boys out in the field. I mean, maybe not as much Luther in this one, but again. He's he's out with the boys, you know. He has to go save the world every couple years, and and you know you can't have a a a nice pretty wife who's not also a spy. 
It's a very nice touching moment at the end. I think that this one ends really strong with the your missions accept them with the three iPhones. I oh think yeah. That's a great little moment between we didn't even mention Benji's a full field agent now. Yeah. Hell yeah. Paula Patton, similar to Maggie Q in the last movie. I think actually even more than than Maggie Q in the last movie. Great addition to this franchise. Wish she would come back. There are so many people that they could pull back in in the future. Mm-hmm. Now now that we know that Dead Reckoning Part 2 is not the end, whatever the future may hold, like, give me spinoffs, spinoffs galore. Mission Impossible presents blank, Luther, you know? Like, give me anything. I, I'll take it, man. Uh, we th- They blow up the Kremlin. We haven't even talked about them oh blowing my God. up the Kremlin. They That's like up the, the Kremlin. first thing they do in this movie. And Alec Baldwin is here, isn't he? Isn't he the CIA no, director? Uh, oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Uh, I'm yeah. jumping ahead. I'm jumping. I've got like a little more time. I yeah. will say I have never really wanted an article of clothing more in my life than when I was 13 years old. This movie came out and Tom Cruise wears a leather jacket with a hood. Oh, dude, the leather jacket with the hood. Even on the poster for a movie I had no intention of seeing, I was like, damn, I gotta find me a leather jacket with a hood. He looks so bad. Again, before, like, the only Tom Cruise movie I'd ever seen was, like, the original Top Gun, where he's not really a badass. He's just kind of a snarky dork. But I was like, holy, I guess Tom Cruise is a badass, and I got he's <laughs> pulling off this hood for some reason. Yeah, this is, this is a great movie. It's a turning point for the franchise. And the turning point shall continue in the next one, starting right now. This is Mission Impossible 5 Ghost Nation Rogue Protocol. <laughs> Hold on. Rogue Nation. This is it's the funny w- you say that Rogue Nation was actually a working title for Ghost Protocol, so they just carried is it that true? this one. Yeah. So I'm not that wrong mixing up all this stuff. They, they do have a similar vibe, I feel like, you know? But this one is the one that I saw a bajillion years ago. It's got the breath-holding diving sequence, which I think is awesome. It's got, it starts with the plane stunt, which is something I didn't remember until the rewatch here, which is awesome. Another Benji in the field moment. He's in, like, the ghillie mm-hmm. suit or whatever. I love it. There were three movies, three James Bond movies specifically, that came out in 2015. <laughs> yeah. And this is, we finally have covered them all on the podcast. Because there was an actual James Bond movie, Spectre. There was Kingsman, The Secret Service, and then there was Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. And this is the best James Bond movie that came out that year, I think. It's awesome. It's so cool. They got, it's a it's more globetrotting. It's more stunting around, stunting on him. More Luther is back in the fold a little more. In this oh, one. Luther's so great in this Thank one. Thank God like, he's back. This is, you brought up Alec Baldwin. This is the one yeah. where, because this is where we get bearded, like, really excommunicated, the most rogue he's ever been, Ethan Hunt. The entire IMF is shut down. Jeremy Renner is being a bureaucrat. Benji's playing Halo at his desk. Yeah, Luther's just keeping his head down. And Ethan is off tracking the syndicate, which was teased oh. at the end of Ghost Protocol. And they do such a good job of building up over the course of this movie. Because this movie doesn't really get going in earnest till the opera sequence and i think that is actually my favorite action set piece in the entire franchise i it's hitchcockian it is incredible yeah i i am a huge i mean the opera sequence is iconic for a reason man and i i think oh ah I'm trying to remember the name of that short. It was my rec center. The key to Reserva. That was my that was my um, rec center. All those weeks back when we were watching those, because that is I, those two live in my mind simultaneously at this point. And my God, I'm honestly just Solomon Lane as a bad mm-hmm. bad boy. He's he's a bad boy, man. He's killing folks. Like yeah. I love that sequence where they like. They compromise. It's pretty pretty close to the beginning when he realizes that the safe house he's in is compromised and he gets gassed. And Solomon Lane is, like, personally killing that lady. Like, she didn't do anything, man. Like, she's just an IMF agent. Tally Lintra from The Last Jedi, who also gets unceremoniously <laughs> oh, no! killed. Who is, who is she in The Last Jedi? Um, she's Tally Lintra is the name of the character in The Last Jedi. She's the A-wing pilot that gets oh, blown up no! in the hangar when Poe is like, <laughs> we gotta go... Fight the First Order. BB-8, uh, keep up with me in this hallway. And then, yeah, oh, dude, that's so sad. That's like her her niche is getting 
killed and people being like, oh, I wish she did something. Like she's not having great to do it. and instantly likable in both of those things. So she's doing a good job. <laughs> Speaking of great and instantly likable, this is the introduction of Ilsa Faust, who Hell is yeah. the true equal to Ethan Hunt on the team. He, she's not even really part of the IMF. She's just on the team. Yeah. And they're like, you never know where her allegiances fully lie. Rebecca Ferguson is so great in this. Again, speaking of the opera sequence, fantastic use of her there. So good. Um, Chris McQuarrie, this is the first one that he did. It's crazy how the first four Mission Impossible movies were all different directors with different distinct styles. And now Christopher McQuarrie is going to do five through eight at the very least. Probably if they (laughs) go on after that, they'll do more. Certainly, certainly he's going to stick around. I feel like there's... There's no one else that'll, like, just sign Tom Cruise's death warrant as easily as he will. I'm just like, I know you can do If you fall and this parachute doesn't open, you're just going to make a crater in the ground, Tom, and you'll walk out of it. You'll be fine. Like, here we go. Well, they are true collaborators, he and Cruise. I think are re- they mesh really well, and Cruise is like, this is my guy, and I'm going to keep him around because he's my guy. He did a rewrite on four, Uncredited, and then also he works on things like, you know, Edge of Tomorrow and Top Gun Maverick. So, McCory is always around, but this is the first time that he has stepped back into the director's chair, and it's with Cruz, and he's doing a fantastic job, I think, stepping into this franchise. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a huge fan of this one. I It's definitely towards the top of my, like, if I were going to, you know, pick my top, it would probably, in no particular order, it would probably be three Fallout and this one, I, I think. Those, those really, really get me. For their each individual, you know, things that they do. But this one, I mean, even just kill it. Like, I know Ethan has also died and come back at least a handful of times at this point in the franchise. But they, the him not remembering his own drowning and resuscitation is pretty damn funny every time. And I know that is like part of the trailer or whatever. And maybe that's why it sticks with me so much. But I, oh, it makes me laugh. It's one of the only times you can see Ethan truly, like, not in control. And yeah, kind yes. Of a buffoon. Exactly. But he's also, you know, crashing cars and driving super... This is some <laughs> of the most impressive motorcycle work in the whole franchise. Oh, I yeah, think. for sure. That That is another thing I remember specifically. The motorcycles are pumped up, and we gotta move on. We gotta move on. Next mission. And finally, we get to Mission Impossible Fallout the piece de resistance of the entire franchise. I really do think that Fallout is the greatest of them because it is not only probably objectively the greatest action movie of the 21st century, but it is, in addition to that, a sequel to every single other Mission Impossible movie that came before it, a franchise that is famously kind of singular and individual. It's not very serialized until this movie. Yeah, this was an absolute delight. When I finally got around to this one, because when it came out, the only thing I heard was like, this movie is incredible. Like, for the people who don't even give a damn about Mission Impossible or whatever, they were just like, this movie is the movie of the year. And I'm sad that I didn't get to see it in IMAX and theaters. I would have loved to have understood just how much of an opus this movie is. Because... It's epic, it's funny, like you said, it's a sequel to everything, so every, and it doesn't feel like a cheap kind of, like, hey, do you remember this, hey, do you remember that, it's like, really expertly written to make the things that are coming to fruition from different movies feel important, and not just like a, we gotta make sure everybody remembers they're watching Mission Impossible, because we know, oh, we watched it, we know, this is Mission Impossible, to the maximum, mm. and it's still very satisfying the way they fold in these other characters and concepts. It's taking every signature element of the franchise and truly turning it up to 11. The opening of this movie is exciting and shocking and also has the longest of any of the mission briefings. That thing is so crazy. <laughs> it's pretty long. It's They're really laying it out there for him. But they do a microcosm that mirrors the opening of the first Mission Impossible, and I think that's kind of a statement, a thesis that the whole movie does, where they take down the walls and they've tricked the guy into giving them the information they need, and they are the IMF. Oh, and bum, man. Bum, 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 bum. And 
from there you only get more and more kind of integrated to hey we know we do a motorcycle chase a lot of the time what if it was the craziest motorcycle chase you've ever seen in a movie through the streets of paris where he's going through the roundabout around the arc de triomphe backwards the he's wrong going way into traffic. oncoming traffic is insane and the fact you you reminded me when we rewatched this together for this episode that they straight up like there's zero there's nothing fake about that shot they shut down traffic and did that for real in paris so all of that motorcycle stuff is in those streets it's crazy he runs across the rooftops of London out the side of St. Paul's Cathedral. He breaks his ankle for real. Oh, he dude. flies a helicopter for real. He climbs up the payload on a helicopter. Insane. Mostly for real. Like he's I mean, he's actually doing it. I mean, he's out in, there. Obviously. But yeah, he's, he's out there. That's crazy. Yeah. He's just like dangling off of cliffs and doing all these motorcycle stunts and Halo oh, jumping. Yeah, the halo times. jump. I was going to say, that's the most insane thing. Just, And I know we see so much behind-the-scenes footage now of just Tom Cruise falling through the air. Again, it almost <laughs> seems like it's old news, but it's so good. With the addition of Henry Cavill at his side through so many of these epic moments and the fruition of of all this stuff, it's, it's so incredible. It is probably top top period that's probably like you said before it is the best one truly and uh henry caffel reloads his arms they have the really good bathroom fight yes the Uh, fake out he kills alec baldwin oh alec baldwin stabbed to death absolutely tragic after another great mask fake out with uh punished solomon lane like crazy beard um straight jacket solomon lane Breaking Lane out of prison. Vanessa Kirby is the White Widow. There's so much packed in this movie. We cannot, like, six minutes is, we could do an entire episode about this movie and still not talk about everything we want to talk about. Yeah, and I, I, honestly, we should, we will probably come back and maybe do a full, I mean, maybe a full marathon episode would be crazy now that I'm fully integrated into this franchise. Maybe we do an abs, like, a full retrospective when maybe they're coming out with the finale, which would be kind of intense. Maybe when 8 comes out, when Dead Directing Part 2 comes out, maybe we do just Fallout and talk more specifically about Fallout because Cause, uh, I've, it's there's peak. too much to fit. In, it's incredible. In like, I mean, I, I we were just like, we watched it together yesterday in prep for this. Yep. We were s- sitting in awe. We had to like pause it multiple times to be like, we need to like digest this, a thing we've already seen in the past because it's so insane to watch happen again. Once we get to like the helicopter chase and you're burning Henry Cavill's face with oil and fist fighting on the wreckage of a helicopter wire suspended on the side of a cliff, it's wild. And then they do the fake out that you think that they nuke the world and that yeah. the next movie is going to be way different than you think. But also, Ethan's wife is back and maybe going to get nuked along with the rest yeah, of the world. Yeah, definitely. The, nuked with her husband, the game guy from the first Hunger Games, who West still has Bentley. the same... Wes Bentley <laughs> needs to, f- to figure out his facial hair because he can't keep having... For, no matter what I see him in, I just keep seeing the weird swirly <laughs> facial hair that he has in that movie. He is great. I think it's a really thankless role that he does a lot of really good nuance with in this movie. Well, that's, that is all she wrote. Garrett Strother. Mission and now, accomplished. Well, mission accomplished. That that was we did choose to accept it, and and we made it through with so much more to say. I feel like it's it's hard to to wrap up all of these in six minutes, but I I hope that we did the secretary proud today. <laughs> I hope so, Secretary Nat. Secretary Nat. <laughs> yes. Uh, they'll be back. I'm sure to give us more missions one day. But why don't we go ahead, kick it on over to our pop culture reference. Let's do it. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about how Tom Cruise is able to do all of his own stunts in his movies. During pre-production on Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, director Brad Bird wanted to shoot certain sequences on IMAX cameras in an effort to bring back showmanship to blockbuster releases. The central IMAX set piece would involve Tom Cruise's character Ethan Hunt climbing the outside of Dubai's Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world. Bird's fixation on showmanship combined with Tom Cruise's penchant for adrenaline meant that Cruise intended on doing the stunt himself. There was just one problem. The film's insurance company said no. 
An insurance company's goal on a film is simple. Prevent anything that could delay or cancel the production that would cause the insurance company to pay out. And one of the biggest movie stars in the world running across the side of a skyscraper was not within the acceptable margin of risk. Cruz, as one of the film's producers and one of Paramount's biggest stars, did something no other actor in living memory has had the power to do. He fired the film's insurance company and replaced it with one who would okay the stunt. They shot the sequence with Cruz, and, upon the film's release, the moment not only became one of the most iconic in the franchise, but an instant cultural touchstone credited with revitalizing Cruz's career. Since this unprecedented move by Cruz to ensure the authenticity of his stunt performances, he has personally clung to the sides of cargo planes, engaged in helicopter piloting dogfight scenes, trained himself to hold his breath for six minutes, and countless other on-set stunts with minimal use of CG special effects and stunt doubles. Cruz continues to push the limits of his own stunt performances both in and out of the Mission Impossible franchise, with his upcoming Dead Reckoning centerpiece stunt promising to be the most dangerous he has ever attempted. In his own words, I might add, he himself yeah. has been really touting this new stunt. And I mean, is it a little is it a little shady for a, a billionaire movie star to fire an entire insurance company off of his own movie? Maybe I will say that that is maybe a little shady. But man, I gotta say, these yeah. stunts are good. These stunts are l truly breathtaking. They are they are they make me speechless a lot of the times. If I'm being honest, just to sit there and think about the idea of a Again, the most famous man in Hollywood just putting his life on the line with every single movie he has done since then, pretty much. When we went to go see Top Gun Maverick last summer, and I got to see the Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning trailer for the first time in IMAX in the movie theater, and you were covering your eyes like a good little boy, and I was of course, to yes. your arm, <laughs> just in awe of what was happening before me and that's just for the trailer and also thinking about the fact that if it weren't for the this ghost protocol stunt i really do genuinely believe not only would we not be getting mission impossible 7 i don't think that we would have ever gotten something like top gun maverick i think that this truly did bring back tom cruise and solidify him as one of the still current relevant top movie stars doing it right now yeah you know he's always been like we talked earlier about the early parts of the franchise before this actually took place but you know even something as interesting as him riding his own motorcycles and doing his own you know chase sequences a lot of physical uh, fight choreography he did himself personally while kind of being in the line of fire so to speak but the fact that he is just like now we're in an era where Tom Cruise is in an actual military fighter jet and I would probably imagine he knows how to, like, actually dogfight in one of those things for real. That That's just the craziest thing of all time to even think about, let alone something like jumping off this, the, the top of a mountain with a motorcycle off a ramp and just, like, plummeting however many hundreds of feet down. Like, it's, it's insane to think about. I'm very excited for next week to actually finally get to see Dead Reckoning Part 1, a movie I've been waiting for, you know. It's been since 2018 when Fallout came out. This, this is a patient franchise. Wow, and yeah, it really it is, is. Always worth the wait. I am so thrilled to finally go see this new one with you, and I, at least I can rest assured that no matter any quality of any Mission Impossible movie to ever come in the future, it's going to be damn impressive with the stunts. I couldn't agree more. But what do you say we kick it on over and save the rec center? Let's save it like Tom Cruise saves the world in every Mission Impossible <laughs> Now it's time to save the world, where we bring you our <laughs> weekly recommendations. Your your rec center, if you choose to accept it. Seamus, what mission do you have for us this week? Oh, I actually do have a mission for for everyone who listened to and watched the Dial of Destiny for last week's episode. I need everybody to go see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny in 4DX. And I know I've been <laughs> ranting to you about this, Garrett, specifically for like a week straight, but it is the stupidest thing I've ever done, and I loved every single second of it. Uh, it didn't matter that I literally had to take my hat off because it was like getting blasted off my head. Um, <laughs> didn't matter that my popcorn that I set on the ground literally got shot by an air cannon and spilled all over the aisle. <laughs> 
Uh, it didn't matter that my seat was jerking so violently that my drink spilled all over the outside of it so that when I picked it up to take a sip, I got covered in soda. That especially didn't matter because you get sprayed with water in these things, Garrett. I don't know if you know that. You get sprayed with actual water. I mean, it's water. a 4D movie, yeah. Well, I I, I've been to the Shed Aquarium, Seamus. I, I didn't know what I was getting into, but when I got to the theater... You like outside of the door to the theater, the 4D theater, there's like a menu of stuff you're going to go through. You're going to be put through. And it's like <laughs> ticklers and mist and all this stuff. Truly the most unhinged movie going experience of my life. And I, I loved it so much. Now, would I have loved it as much if I was seeing Indiana Jones for the first time? Probably not, because it's insanely loud and distracting, and I definitely <laughs> missed a lot of the stuff that was going on. Would you go see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning? Not, not for the first time, but I am almost certainly going to try to implore you to go see it with me a second time, so that we can jerk around like Ethan Hunt sprinting as fast as he can. It is truly the weirdest thing of all time. The, the seats move with the camera movements, not just the characters. You get like, Whoa. you get like punched in the back. Like Indiana Jones punches someone and you get punched in the back by a little piston. It's like the craziest thing <laughs> ever. Insane. Oh my goodness, God. I, I This is a little bit of a rant at this point, but I the, the honest regret in my heart that I felt leaving that theater that we didn't go do Fast X in 4D. After there's, we saw there's it the first always time. Fast X Part Two. You, dude, every single time a new one comes out at this point, I'm dragging your ass to like a, like a so over expensive theme park ride in a regal somewhere because it is crazy. <laughs> we can't even use our AMC. No, uh, we're paying we're paying full price for this experience because it is it is so dumb and so worth it and so fun. So that that is my rec center. Speaking of experiences that are broken, uh, <laughs> oh god. I have finally finished Star Wars Jedi Survivor. And oh, I have been wow. waiting to rec center it until I'm done. I am two trophies away from the platinum. I'm I'm on the cusp of greatness. And, you know, I'm not gonna say that they've completely ironed out all the bugs. There are, there's definitely some screen tearing. There's definitely some we go into a pre-rendered kill animation and the guy just disappears midway oh, through. But Overall, I think that the game is... Cer- I-, I would certainly define it as playable, and I would <laughs> further define it as fun. You Hell and yeah. I had Rocky on to talk about Fallen Order and whether or not we thought Jedi Survivor could kind of live up to the promise of Fallen Order, because Fallen Order itself, we agreed on that show, is is good, but it could be a lot better. And... I think Survivor takes all of those concepts that we were really hoping would be expanded upon in that first game and brings them into their own. I said this to you yesterday, actually. If Fallen Order is what if kind of Uncharted were Star Wars, this is definitely what if God of War 2018 were Star Wars. And that means fleshing out the side characters a lot more, bringing back the characters that you like while also adding in a brand new roster of colorful folks from across the Star Wars universe that is, they're all fun to meet. The gameplay is a lot more varied and interesting. The enemy types are a lot more varied and interesting. And overall, I think it's just a general improvement from the first one. And I hear that the PC version is still really bad. That's that, that they've not really been able to fix that. But I was playing on PS5 and I took a break for a while after it came out. And said, I'm going to wait till they patch this so that it's playable. And I don't think it's almost ever hitting the full 60 that it promises. 60 frames per second, that of course. But it still, you know, I think it still looks very good and plays really well. And I think it is at a point now that I feel comfortable rec-centering it, especially after finishing the main story and almost 100% completing the game. Well, you know I am already locked in. Whenever I can get around to my re-platinum of the first one, and, you know, I, probably by the time that I do finally get around to this game, it'll be even more updated, hopefully, maybe a little more patched up. But it seems like, from what I've been hearing from you and from, you know, just the general the, uh, the general populace who've been playing this game since launch, is that it's had such major improvements, even 
just from the day one patch stuff, which everyone had a big problem with. But I saw a little bit of your gameplay yesterday, and it looks so big and wide and interesting. And, and I, I definitely cannot wait to follow through on your rec center today. I'm very glad to hear it, Shams. I'm sure I'll loan you my copy oh, in, I, in the I, coming I, weeks. <laughs> I would thank you very much for that. But that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Also find us at that handle on Instagram and TikTok. You can email us personally at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. You can drop off mysterious packages with secret missions <laughs> in them at Seamus' doorstep. Uh, you can engage with the show on YouTube or whatever platform you're listening on right now. It really helps the show out in terms of engagement. And next week, of course... We will be covering Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, my most anticipated movie of the year. I hope it lives up to the hype, and I'm very excited to talk about it with you, Seamus. I have never been more thrilled to come to a premiere of an action movie that is so far into the franchise, but this is truly going to be an event, and I am, I am so excited to get into it with you next week. Everybody, we'll see you on our next mission. Hasta lasagna, don't get any on ya.